This is, today is message four out of five in your higher power series. We're talking about um, how it is that God has helped us to know and live by God's Spirit. And uh, we know that if you've been following Jesus your whole life, it's a joy to do that. There's so much joy in following Jesus, but to be His obedient disciple. In order for us to experience or demonstrate the power that we need to change and grow, God knew, even if we don't know, God knew that we need more power than we have within ourselves to change and grow. And I'm curious, how many of you discovered over your lifetime that everything you've wanted to do in your faith to change and grow, at some point or other, you discovered you didn't have it in you to make those changes? Anybody discover that? I discovered that myself, and it's humbling. It forces us back to depend on God, but fortunately, we don't have to generate the power that we need to change and grow within ourselves. We don't have to generate the willpower. We don't have to read the right books. There's a power that comes to us for us to obediently serve and follow Jesus that comes from heaven. And Jesus was telling His disciples about how God had been at work through His Holy Spirit creating and, and, and creating new life and animating people to do what God desired. And then Jesus tells His disciples that this Holy Spirit is going to be at work through me, my birth, my baptism, my teaching, my healing, the signs and wonders that I evidence that I am sent directly from the Father above with His authority and His power, and also the resurrection Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it is well known in the New Testament, is for you as well, and it quickens your life and body. And then Jesus says to His disciples before He ascends to heaven something so terrifically important to us. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power. Now, He is um, and the power is going to come from heaven. He's using the word Holy Spirit here in the Old Testament. It was a word ruach. We talked about that at week one. This new language in here in the Greek is uh, for the Holy Spirit is pneuma. And this Holy Spirit is going to fill them with power. And Jesus says to his disciples, I will send you the promised Holy Spirit that was promised by Joel and the prophets. And that Holy Spirit will fill you and you will be filled with recreation power and it's going to come from heaven. I think that this means that our church meetings should not be bland and powerless. Church meetings... um, should take on the nature of people who are worshiping the creator of the universe and following the Jesus who lay uh, lay dead in a tomb, a lifeless body that was somehow quickened to be raised again with recreative life or creation life. And that same power, Jesus is saying, is going to come and fill disciples. And it's my vision of the New Testament helps us see that when we gather together, we don't have to accept bland, stoic, powerless Christian living. Some, uh, sharing this same vision for what it's like when believers gather, have, uh, uh, have allowed that excitement to lead them all the way to a power-filled some would say three-ring circus. A Sunday morning uh, that is entertaining, a Sunday morning that is wild, and a Sunday morning that is unpredictable. So, 
Um, what if the Scriptures, through the writing of Paul, helps us avoid powerless stoicism, and it also helps us avoid uh, kind of um, facilitating a three-ring circus of confusion and chaos on Sunday mornings with this power? Holy Spirit baptism is spread to Corinth. It's a, a city. Um, in, um, in the Scriptures, there's a letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was experiencing confusion. There was, this would be such a great news headline, confusion at Corinth. With the, all the anchors tuning in to give you an update on what's happening in Corinth. They were sincere believers. The sincere believers were meeting together. But because of how new this power of the Holy Spirit had um, become to them, they were doing damage to the church because of the confusion and because some of the chaos and that it was happening in their church meetings and it was mishandled and things were so misunderstood, this Holy Spirit baptism uh, through the, the spiritual gifts that had been generated that there was disorder, there was a lack of discernment and there was church-wide confusion. So, we can approach this work of the Holy Spirit in the local church, the baptism that comes along with the Spirit initially and also the gifts of the Spirit. We can, come, uh, um, we can take to heart what Paul says because Paul specifically wrote a detailed letter to the church at Corinth to answer their questions about how much, why there's so much disorder, confusion, and chaos. And he wrote a detailed letter and this uh, detailed letter was a letter of instructions to the church about Holy Spirit baptism and also to be read to everyone in the church. And I have, um, on a side note, I've created a thorough set of notes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this letter, and what he says to the church. And, and um, if you're the studying, note-taking, remembering kind of person in our church app, if you click on the, um, the button that says, uh, weekend services, is that what it says? Weekend services, that sounds right. And then the very first button you're going to see is um, message notes. And you'll see a, a PDF with fill-ins. And then you can email it to yourself and you'll be able to keep a lot of this that you're going to see on the screen. You don't have to try to jam it into your brain. You can keep it in your notes. But I've kind of created this flyover set of notes for what Paul goes into detail. And it helps us understand what does this mean for a church like ours? What exactly does it mean? The Spirit of God gives the church, through the baptism of the Spirit, gives us spiritual gifts. And the gifts that God gives us are for the church. Here's how Paul describes it. Check this out. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. What are the spiritual gifts for, by the way? This is not, by, let, me, let me set you up here if you haven't been here in a while. I'm going to ask questions. They're super easy. And all the answers are on the screen, okay? Got that? So, real quick, so we can do this together. Um, the spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why are they given? So we can help each other. Good. We got teachers in the room. So we can help each other. To one person, listen to this list. This is pretty cool. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to, an, and to, to another and to someone else. The one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles 
and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So the Holy Spirit fills believers. The believers get together in a church meeting, and then the Holy Spirit wants to give gifts to help the church, special abilities. Um, In Romans... Chapter 12, Paul describes even more gifts. Paul goes on to say that God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well, and he says serving others, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, showing kindness. And in the New Testament, scholars believe there is precisely 18 spiritual gifts that are listed. Other people, not necessarily scholars, but some other people, feel like they can see 21 in the New Testament. That's 21 gifts that come from the Spirit to believers like us in order to help special abilities that help the church. He goes on and he says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything... So, here's um, here's the crescendo. I listed all these gifts that are in operation at the church when the believers get together. And you've already experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying this to the church at Corinth. And this experience with the Holy Spirit is now creating confusion and chaos in the church. But I want to kind of come to a crescendo church at Corinth, and I want to make sure that you don't miss this, he says. But be sure. Be certain. Focus on something really important, Paul says, that everything is done properly. And now, what does it mean when something is, when when Paul says do this properly, it implies that there's an improper way to function, right? There's an improper way to to use a gift, and everything is done in order. So, what instructions did Paul give church in Corinth about using all these gifts of the Spirit? How in the world, specifically, did he advise them on the confusion that this this new power was causing? How did he advise them? Here's what Paul said. Paul said to the church at Corinth that was experiencing confusion and chaos and disorder and doing damage to the church, this new Holy Spirit in believers, working through believers, was causing damage. The Holy Spirit wasn't, but the people were. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Does that resonate with most of you? That these things should be proper and in order. And... Um, it's important for us to, to, to look at what this means. What does properly and in order mean? Fortunately, we don't have to make that up as we go along. Fortunate, fortunately, we don't have to um, imagine what Paul meant because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, along with some other places, but in the letter to the church at Corinth, at, in the 14th chapter, Paul describes in detail what that means, what properly and in order means. And uh, we are going to do a quick fly over here so you get an idea of what Paul says. What you, you can get an idea to kind of set the filter in your mind for what, what it means when he says properly and in order. He starts with this. These are kind of like a summation of segments of the passage in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, protect the main priorities. 
Oftentimes, it's the church leaders, elders, pastors, the church um, deacon leaders oftentimes take responsibility, find themselves taking, needing to take responsibility to protect the main priorities. And Paul doesn't, again, he doesn't force us to make these up. What are the main priorities of church that are empowered by the Holy Spirit? Love and prophecy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, look what Paul says, let love be your highest goal. That goal is so important that Paul wrote a whole chapter on what love looks like. Who knows it? 1 Corinthians what? You give you a chance to show off a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes, this is what love looks like. He actually describes Jesus, by the way, in all the ways that God through Jesus expressed His love. So how does God feel about believers who are so spiritual that they can speak in languages of angels, who have so much faith that they can look at a mountain and move it into the sea. How, um, how, how does God feel about people with that much faith and who speak with languages of angels? How does He feel about them if they don't love? God says, you are irritating to me. You are irritating to me that you um, somehow are, are, are hyper-spiritual and you think that somehow that these, the use of these gifts elevates you and God says, but if you have tongues of angels and you have faith that moves mountains and so on and so forth, you have all these kind of spiritual traits, but you don't have love, I find it to be as irritating as a gong that's going off in my ear, <laughs> clanging cymbals, Right? So Paul is prioritizing here love, and it's the very first priority for a church family. It is love. How will you know believers belong to God by their love for one another? You won't know they're believers by their heavenly languages or their supernatural faith that does all kinds of uh, wild miracles. You will know they belong to Jesus because of their love for one another. But there's more. In this list of priorities, he says, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. Love is your highest goal. That's what we're focused on, right? Then you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. In fact, Paul says, this is so, this is so um, helpful. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says that you should earnestly desire these special abilities. Earnestly. In some translations, he says it, 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 the word is eagerly. Eagerly desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives. And lastly, he says in this priority list, especially the ability to prophesy. Now, um, there's a lot of questions about prophecy. There's a lot of questions about what is, like, is prophecy still the prophets in the Old Testament? Are they predicting the future? If they misfire, do they get stoned like they did in the Old Testament? In that case, um, I'll let someone else do that job. So, um, keep in mind that what Paul is saying here is he, and he elaborates later, he is saying, I would rather five words in a language that someone can understand than 10,000 words in a heavenly language or an unknown tongue. And he's saying, prioritize people understanding what's being said. And prophecy simply means someone who is speaking um, the truth from the perspective of God. Um, the gift of prophecy says if these conditions continue, this is on behalf of God, this is where they are going to lead you. 
If these conditions continue, this is where it's going to lead you. God is going to either judge you or he's going to bless you, depending on how you address them and correct them. Prophecy involves forth-telling. Or, I could put it this way, uh, forth-telling the truth to our hearts from God's perspective. That sound reasonable? Telling the truth to our hearts from God's perspective. Another way we function properly and in order is we eagerly pursue gifts that strengthen the entire church. Paul says that you should um, um, earnestly desire these gifts and that the gifts that we're pursuing are especially the gifts that help strengthen the entire church. Seven times in one chapter, I think this is helpful, seven times in one chapter, Paul makes sure to mention that the gifts ought to be used in such a way as they strengthen the entire church, the whole church. Uh, In order to function properly in order, and in order, they must strengthen the entire church or the whole church. So, um, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Paul mentions that the gift of prophecy is a greater church because it strengthens everyone who hears it. That the gift of tongues is helpful for you personally, unless there's an interpretation, it's helpful for you personally because it kind of builds up and edifies your own spirit, but that prophecy is able to strengthen the whole church. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret because it's public what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Do you see the theme? It must strengthen all of you. That means that whatever is happening with the power of the Holy Spirit to work using spiritual gifts among a church family, it should strengthen everybody, not just lifelong Christians. Not just lifelong Pentecostal Christians. Not just the church leaders. Not just the traveling preacher who's really impressed with themselves that these gifts in operation. Everything, Paul says, strengthens everyone. Everyone is nourished and everybody is strength. There's another way we uh, function properly and in order. This third way here, be sure to be cautious, clear, and orderly, but don't forbid. Be cautious, clear, and orderly, but don't forbid. This is um, important. This is important because it's covering a lot of this different chapter here in verse 14 and uh, important for us to recognize. So here's what I love to do. We've got some spiritual gift guardrails that Paul gives us, and I summarize them for us, kind of put them in my own words essentially so that they're brief. But take a look, if you would, at what Paul gives us as it relates to guardrails, cautions and guardrails about the use of the spiritual gifts among a church family. Here's what he says. Prophecy gift needs to bring strength, encouragement, comfort, and learning. We need to learn from it, but it also should bring strength to you. It should encourage you, or it should bring you comfort. It's pretty specific. What does that mean? That means when somebody is trying to prophesy and someone is trying to uh, um, announce to you that they are hearing from God and using the gift of prophecy, and that prophecy doesn't strengthen you, encourage you, comfort you, or you don't really learn anything from it, it's probably not the real deal. 
That's one filter that could be used. He also says everything must strengthen everyone. We just highlighted that. Next, everything is said and done properly in order, interpreted, and evaluated by others. This is something that's easily lost among a church family because most of us want spiritual things to be happening in our church and to ourselves, and when they happen, oftentimes they don't get a lot of evaluation. First of all, things that are hard to understand need to be interpreted, and everything that is said by means of uh, spiritual gift, preaching as well, needs to be evaluated by others, interpreted so the message is clear and compelling, and then evaluated so nobody can make stuff up, and then claim that God is talking to them, and they wanted to tell you what God is saying, and then nobody evaluates it and says, did that sound off to you? Is that weird? Is that God? Is that consistent with what He's already said in the Scripture? And when people do this, oftentimes uh, it's difficult to evaluate them when you're talking, whether it's in a conversation or in a small group or when you're in a bigger church meeting. It's especially difficult to evaluate someone when they start by saying, Thus saith the Lord. And you're like, Man, uh, who am I to circle back around and saying, What if the Lord didn't thus saith. (laughs) What if that was thus saith you? Or what what if it was thus saith the Spirit, but not the Holy Spirit? Um, I I remember how this kind of came to life one time. I was in a meeting, a, a, a church meeting on a Sunday morning in a traditional Pentecostal church, and I remember somebody with some boldness stood up. It was during an election season. And they prophesied, thus saith the Lord And they eventually got to what God wanted to say to the church through them, and that was that you could not vote for Hillary Clinton. You know why? Because she's the Antichrist. (laughs) That was the prophecy. And I was like, that's amazing. Because as I recall, it wasn't just a few years earlier that there was another prophecy by the same person that the Antichrist had already come in the form of Bill Clinton. Right? So you know what's needed? Evaluation. Church leaders need to get together and say, did you hear that craziness? Someone has to stop this. Somebody has to protect the church. Somebody's got to intervene because this is a political message coming from somebody's political convictions that is being cloaked in the gift of prophecy. An evaluation is needed. Wouldn't you agree? Give me a head nod if you would feel more comfortable knowing that you're in a place that is being protected by people who recognize this evaluation is going to happen all the time, every time. Give me a head nod. It's going to be evaluated. Is it consistent with the Scriptures? Is this the kind of thing that God has said in the past? Is this strengthen you? Does this encourage you? Does this comfort you? Does this bring fear? Is somebody saying, thus saith the Lord? That's the first sign to get nervous. And, I, and I'm telling you, you should tense up and flinch if I start every sermon on Sunday mornings by saying, why don't you open your Bibles, thus saith the Lord, and whatever comes after that should be God's Word, but it's my work as a gifted teacher that God is doing through me, and words from the preacher need to be evaluated as you weave in and out of your own flesh and the work of the illuminating work of the Spirit to help. Uh, In the New Testament, we recognize that even in small house churches like those in Corinth, prophecies had to be evaluated each week, even if you know the person, even if you're familiar with the person. Also, the gift of prophecy remained fallible. 
Not all of them passed the evaluation in detail. Um, also, if someone is using the gift of prophecy, don't accept, and they don't accept the gift, the gift. If they don't accept evaluation of their gift, they don't accept it. They don't accept the evaluation of their message. It is biblical to shut them down and let them out the door. It's biblical to close them down and let them out if they don't accept evaluation. Why? Because Paul said in the church of Corinth when the Holy Spirit is at work through the people using gifts and somebody is operating with a gift that they're unwilling to have evaluated, you can let them see the door. Also, um, it is biblical to do that in order to protect the church families. Also, um, Paul says in verses 32 and 33, there's no need for interruption. There's no need to, for any gift to interrupt what's happening among the, the meeting. Why? Because you're in control of the gift. And you're not overtaken in spontaneous or mystical ecstasy. That's what Paul says. Paul says, one at a time, you get to hear from everyone, no more than three, and you take turns. It does not um, manifest spontaneously or mystically, um, you have control and you can make sure that it's delivered properly and in order. Why? So that there's no confusion and that the message can cut through to the heart, right? Um, here's another one here, another two of them that Paul says, here's some guardrails, pray in the Spirit privately. The spiritual language that comes along with the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, edifies or builds up your own inner spirit. He has more to say about that and how those are interpreted. Also, take turns, one at a time, no more than three. That's the order. If, no one who is, if there is no one who can interpret, then they must be silent in the church, meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Those are Paul's words. So you shouldn't, in your ears, trying to be figuring out what someone is praying because it doesn't sound like a language you understood, you understand, because if, there isn't no inter if there's no interpreter or interpretation, the gift of interpretation, then believers are praying privately. That is um, verse 28. And then lastly, that being said, he says, but don't forbid. Don't shut down all of the gifts. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. So how do we discern between improper, authentic, inauthentic, and improper, and how do we discern between that and proper and authentic? Especially when we're trying to figure out, is this a work that the Holy Spirit is doing for the church? How do we discern between the two? I want to run by you something that is um, helpful for me, and I hope and pray that it's helpful for you. And it goes like this. There are generally in a church meeting when the uh, um, special abilities are working and the Holy Spirit is kind of using the gifts of the Spirit, there are three C people in the local church meeting, okay? Three C people. You will not, I shouldn't probably tell you this, but you won't find this in any textbook or, um, or any commentary or anything. This is something that has helped me over time, and here it is. The three C people in a local church meeting are people that are categorized as crazy, confused, and convicted, Crazy, confused, and convicted. What do I mean by that? Well, if the gifts are in operation and they're being used improperly or they are being used inauthentically, it is, should be expected that there is somebody there who is saying, you're crazy. You 
are crazy, right? How do we know that? How do we know that when spiritual gifts are being used out of order or inauthentically that we're going to have somebody say you're crazy? Here's how we know. Paul writes in verse 13, he says, even so, if unbelievers or those who are unfamiliar with your meetings are near you, if they are with you or they are nearby, they are within ear uh, shot of you, they don't understand these things, and they come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are, help me out, crazy. Now, it is very spiritual to think, especially for me, to think, look, if the Holy Spirit is at work, Genuinely. And somebody thinks to themselves, um, you people are crazy. It is unbiblical for me as the leader to say, you know what, I'm not apologizing for or embarrassed by the Holy Spirit. This person is just going to have to get over it. That's their problem. Um, if they think you're crazy, you know what Paul says? Paul says, don't blame them. Paul says it needs to make more sense. Don't blame them. Who needs to be edified, strengthened, encouraged, and comforted when everybody's together and the Spirit is operating? Everyone. Everyone, all the peoples in the church need to be strengthened and edified, even unbelievers and people who don't understand, or there's another word in another translation which is unfamiliar. If they think you're crazy, Paul says, don't blame the Holy Spirit. You're out of order. And that's important. Spiritual gifts are being used out of order or inauthentic, and when they are, there's another way to know that that's happening, because other people, they may not be saying, you're crazy, but they're going to say, I'm confused. I don't really understand what's being said. I don't understand who it's being said to. I don't understand the source of what is being said. Here's where Paul describes this. He says, For if you praise God only in the Spirit, right, your own prayer language, how can those who don't understand you, the, the, the spiritual language that you're using to pray, that the Holy Spirit gave you when you were baptized in the Spirit, and how can, and they don't understand you praise God, how can they understand, sorry, can I start over? Yeah. <laughs> I had decaf this morning. Not really. Not really. How can those who don't understand what you're praying, how can those who hear you, but it doesn't make sense in their mind because you're praying in your own spiritual language, how can it be possible that they can praise God with you? So what happens is people who are praying in the Spirit aloud with no interpretation, it starts to splinter and fragment the church. And if you wanted to give praise with somebody, you're like, I'd love to know what they're praising God about. But Paul is saying if they don't understand what you're saying, they can't share that with you. And then this union and this unity that comes with taking communion together and saying, we are a part of the body, we are in Christ. Someone starts to praise Jesus in their own prayer language that they're not privately doing, they're publicly doing, and no one understands what they're saying. There's a problem because they can't. He, he, says, it, he says it again. How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very well. But again, Paul's thinking about the whole church, and he says, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you, right? This is clear. This is specific. This is Paul helping us as a church family understand how things look and sound when things are done properly and in order. But in a church meeting like ours, he says, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Is he saying that we should forbid this prayer language? He's not. He already said 
seek these gifts, these special abilities, earnestly desire them. Don't forbid the prayer language that comes along with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Unless these are interpreted publicly and orderly, praying in your own prayer language, a language of angels, so to speak, it's confusing to the hearer's mind. And that's where you get a group of people who may not think everybody's crazy, but they're definitely confused. And then there's another uh, way here that I think it's important for us to look and see. When gifts are being used properly and authentically, how will we know? Because there's another category of person called the convicted. The convicted. What is this category of person? How does this look? Check this out. This is, this is so vital. Paul, in verse 24 and 25, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand, these are the same people that before they thought you were crazy, now they're, uh, they're there again, and they come into your meeting and they will be convicted, right? If it's prophecy and they understand what's being said, it's done properly and in order, in order they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. Watch how this escalates. Watch how this gets going. They're convicted. They sense God is judging them by the words that are coming out of the the gift of prophecy. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed, not generic thoughts that most people have. The thoughts that are in their heart that only they know, and quite likely only the God of creation knows. They, those thoughts will be exposed. And what happens? They will fall to their knees and they will worship God. Can you, are you with me, church family? When it's authentic and it's a work that the Holy Spirit is doing, there is an end result of repentance. There is an end result of worship. There's an end result where somebody who is unfamiliar and unbeliever says, this could only be God. That's the kind of standard that I picture when believers like our church family are operating in authentic, proper giftedness of the Holy Spirit, that the words cut to the heart. And those who would otherwise say Christians are crazy end up falling on their knees and saying, this could only be God. There's no way anybody could know this. God is truly here among you. Who's saying that? Not just the lifelong Christian, not just the card-carrying Pentecostal believer, not just those who are um, full of faith, those who are unfamiliar, and those who are potentially even an unbeliever. They're meeting Jesus, and they're worshiping God. How? Through the gifts of the Spirit that are operating specifically here in the gift of prophecy. And that's the end result. And the end result is they say, I'm convicted. And I'd like to think that when there's authenticity and there's proper use and and gifts are used in order, that's the kind of response that comes along with the work of God through His Spirit. Rather than how easy it is for many of us to just say, it it didn't really resonate with me, but or it sounded a little off, but who am I to judge? Or, you know what, that sounded a little crazy, but um, it's just something that we have to accept as Biblical believers, if we subscribe to 1 Corinthians 14, the book of Acts, and so on, instead we can say the standard is when God's operating, there is something happening in the hearts of people inside His church family and outside of His church family. And that's what I envision when this New Testament church is is operating. So, um, keep in mind, 
there is quite a heart change. Um, quite a heart change. One of my favorite authors and, and uh, pastors and teachers, um, his name is George O. Wood. He said, when we have received Jesus, we have received the Spirit. Paul's letter to Corinth is greatly misunderstood if anyone assumes that someone who has not received the baptism of the Spirit has not received the person of the Spirit. It's a big mistake. We all receive the Spirit of God in conversion. When you and I become Christians, we didn't become two-thirds Christians having only the Father and the Son's presence. We have the Holy Spirit's presence, the indwelling Spirit of Jesus. And he goes on to say, Spirit baptism here in the book of Acts, one, two, and so many others, is a distinct part of our entrance into the full Christian life. After salvation and water baptism, these can occur at different times. But I believe it is God's purpose to make this a cluster of initiation events into the Christian life. Someone I respect, someone that... um, Uh, deals with interpreting Scripture very carefully, intellectually honest, and I think helpful to picture this um, conversion, water baptism, spirit baptism as a cluster of initiation, a bit of inauguration of the church as well. So what now? Really quick, what now? Well, for one thing, it's not too late. Um, If you pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit for personal edification, I recognize that there are so many people who have so many different, I mentioned this last week, several different angles, right? It's a a difficult topic for the church body at large to agree on, and there's a lot of angles that create division. Uh, But I do think that it's worth considering, no matter what your background or where you're at today, whether you're believer, unbeliever, unfamiliar, familiar, that it's worth pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit for personal edification as described in the book of Acts, as described, uh, with the assumption that uh, that baptism experience continues on and still empowers believers today. So, um, it's not too late. This week, I was reading an article. It was an interview. Anybody remember the author, pastor? I shouldn't say anybody remember. He's still with us. How many of you know you're familiar with uh, Max Lucado? Max Lucado is a well-known Presbyterian uh, author and pastor, has an incredible gift to make the most complex Christian themes simple. Great metaphors, great um, word pictures, uh, he was being interviewed recently in an in interview. He said, when I was 64 years old on a July morning as I was praying, I began praying in another language. I had not done anything different except I came across the passage where the Apostle Paul said, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I prayed that every morning for two or three weeks. And then one morning, early in the morning, I began to pray in a heavenly prayer language. And one way I think of that is that his spirit was praying. Uh, It's private. It was intimate between he and God, a spiritual prayer language. Uh, In in Corinthians chapter 13, it's referred to as a language of angels. Um, Also, just like any other language, doesn't have to be mystical and um, create any unnecessary superstition. So, it's possible that just listening to teaching on the Holy Spirit, like, they, like what happened in the New Testament, that somebody would receive the baptism just by listening to the teaching. 
where Paul, remember Peter says, have you been, you've, you've been uh, baptized with the baptism of John and you've been baptized into the Lord Jesus. These were believers. And then he said, have you received the Spirit? So my exhortation to you is just ask God for everything he has, right? Pursue everything. You don't pursue a prayer language. You don't pursue a gift. You're not like, oh, God, I need the gift of prophecy or healing or whatever else. Instead, what we're saying is we pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit knowing that God has potentially more power for you and more power collectively for His church family. The focus of baptism of the Spirit is twofold. It deepens our worship through giving us a language of praise that we have not learned. It also gives us power in our Christian witness to radiate and shine brightly, George Wood says. I want to encourage any of you, on, on the first Sunday we have communion together and we always have a prayer group of people praying up here and very inconspicuously I want to invite you to, to join us on all of those Sundays and let someone pray with you if you need God to intervene in some circumstance in your life, whether it's a relationship or marriage or your body or whatever else, or if you are pursuing everything God has for you through the power of the Holy Spirit, even the power that comes with being baptized with and in the Spirit. Let someone lay hands on you. In the New Testament, you'll see people were filled with the Spirit overflowing by listening to the teaching and also through the laying on of hands. And it's a way that God seems to work. And it just is a simply saying to someone who's praying for you, um, I'm ready to receive the Holy Spirit baptism. How does God strengthen His church? He does it through discovering your spiritual gifts. This is just real quick. Um, it's possible that some of you are eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. It's biblical. We just looked at that very closely, especially the special abilities God gives you to help the church. Um, up in our website and through our app, you can use the Roots Track button. You could go to the Message Series Media. When you look for your, the, the Sunday Message Series on the app, you will notice that there's a Grow on Your Own resources. There's a link to take a quiz to try to assess where are you gifted? What are the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you or a gift that He's given you? And then I'd love for any and all of you to consider, if you haven't already, join a team to help strengthen the church. Join a team. Music team, kids team, hospitality team. There's so many teams that uh, are made up of church family members just like you who are gifted. We are the means by which God, through His Holy Spirit, is recreating the earth. It's the local church. It's people who belong to Jesus. And He does that by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Next time we get together, we will take a look at how is the Holy Spirit recreating human beings? How is He at work recreating human beings? And how is He doing that from the inside out? Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful today for um, everything and all the things that You have said to us. I pray that our hearts would be alert and alive for what you're trying to say directly to us, individually. And that as you nourish us individually, you would strengthen our church. And I pray that you'd give me the wisdom and discernment that's needed to protect our church family and to apply the instructions that come from Paul that everything should be done properly and in order. We pray that we would be able to faithfully discern the insights that come in this letter to the church at Corinth 
so that we can help people find you, help people find more of the power that is available through you and your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that all the ways in which there's distortion or disinformation or any other areas that you want to kind of declutter our hearts and minds from that you would be at work doing. May things resonate in our hearts as true that are from you. We pray that you'd energize our church family to be biblical, New Testament, Jesus followers, gospel free and spirit empowered people that our church, our church family would be empowered by your spirit. Not the power that comes with just being excited. Not a fake it till you make it type of power. Not a um, cross your fingers and hope the best power. But a real power from your real spirit that would enable and empower us. We trust you with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, church family? We're going to sing together, put our voices together, put our hearts together as we elevate the work of the Spirit in our hearts. And just encourage you to um, I just encourage you to lock in a little longer. Let your spirit hear these words and let your mouth, let your mind articulate what it is that you're sensing the strength and the joy and the comfort and strength and encouragement that comes from the truth that God's given us.